0: Hey, it's Erica. I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to Global News, What Happened to, ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
0: An explosive push forward and rapid fire footwork thrusts team members into a sled as it cuts through the icy track. With precision, they pilot the winding track gaining more and more momentum as they speed down hairpin turns at upwards of 150 kilometers per hour. One wrong move could prove deadly. But over 30 years ago, one team walked to the top of the track, sled in hand. Behind them, the hopes of a nation unfamiliar with ice and snow. I'm journalist Eric Bella, And today, we light the Olympic flame as we travel back in time to find out the real story about a team that captured our attention and warmed hearts around the world. This is Global News What Happened to the Jamaican Bobsled Team. Before we get into this story, it's important to remember that while many of us are familiar with cool runnings, The Disney movie is only loosely based on real events. The story you're about to hear comes from one of the original team members of the 88 Jamaican bobsled team and the real work that went into getting into the Calgary Winter Olympics. Devin Harris is a three-time Olympian and he said he's always had a love for sport.
2: Yeah, you know what? Let me go all the way back. <laughs> um, uh, I, my early years were actually spent in a small rural district uh, called Haughton in Saint Elizabeth, which is on the south coast of Jamaica. I spent those years with my grandmother, who, you know, you know, I look back now and I realize she she influenced my thinking because she was this amazing storyteller, and um, the stories I remember were the are the ones that had the greatest impact on me were the ones. She told me about soldiers and the amazing things they could perform and not get hurt. and it inspired me one to one to become a soldier. more, more importantly inspired me to want to do things that other people thought were difficult if not impossible. So I, I ended up you know heading back to Kingston and I grew up in Olympic Gardens, believe it or not. Um, it's one of the toughest uh, get I describe it as one of the toughest <coughs> getters in the world and um, you know impoverished, violent, um, but, uh, you know, the thing that kind of, I would say, kept me sane uh, by then was school, man. I loved school, not because I'm a Rhodes Scholar. You know, I, I think I, you know, I, I cracked a book or two, but I loved to, to play. And guess where I could play at Will? School. <laughs> so um, I discovered sports, you know, soccer. And, uh, the, you know, the thing I loved about sports, uh, the thing I discovered about it was, you know, regardless of what you're, situation was of the field. When we're on the field, man, it's my heart against yours. It's me against you and and what you can bring uh, to the table, so to speak. And so I kind of fell in love with with, with sports then. And it, uh, you know, continued to this day to be an important part of my life.
0: His Olympic dream sparked in 1979, a year before the 1980 Olympics. Devin was 15 years old.
2: And ABC, Wild World of Sports, American TV, had a series called Road to Moscow. In it, they showcased athletes from around the world, different nationalities and and disciplines and so on. And they spoke about their, obviously, their sporting lives, but their normal lives as well. And um, you know how when you think of Olympians, you think of these superhuman athletes and uh, superhuman people. And what I saw in that series were these very average and ordinary people. But they had extraordinary dreams, and they had an equally extraordinary desire to achieve those dreams. And it hit me then that, obviously, within reasons, within reason, you need a little talent, but practically anyone could become an Olympian if they dare to dream that big, crazy dream and back it up with an equal desire to work and um and and sacrifice and so on. So that's when the dream of competing in the Olympics for me got birthed.
0: He put the dream on the back burner, and five years later, in 1984, he joined the Jamaican army. This choice was one of many that led Devon to surprise the world and make Olympic history. In the summer of 1987, two Americans, George Finch and William Maloney, were living in Jamaica and witnessed a very unique sport where contestants raced derby carts down winding mountain roads. We do that, uh, do, do
2: that in Jamaica, called a pushcart derby. And two Americans who lived in Jamaica saw that and thought it looked like bobsledding. Two crazy guys going on the side of a mountain in a cart, except for the snow. They thought, hey, this is bobsledding, and then discovered that a big part of the race is a start. You need sprinters.
0: Devin said Finch and Maloney went to the country's sprinters, but they thought that the idea was crazy.
2: So they came to the army looking for athletes. And that's when I initially heard, and as I mentioned, I was not interested. I thought it was the most absurd, ridiculous idea ever conceived by a man. And I remember saying, nobody could ever get me to go on one of those things. Until my Colonel suggested <laughs> that I try out for the team. And so now that I was going to the team trials, Erica, just like the, the, the equation completely changed because I'm not wired. To be an also ran, to just participate. Like now that I knew I was going to the team trials. So it, they're testing speed and explosive powers, you know, sprinting 30, 60, 100 meters, 300 meters, throwing a shot put from between your legs, power cleaning some weights and, and a push, what they call a push test with a makeshift sled. And at the t- I would describe myself at the time as being army fit. You know, I could walk 100 miles with 50 pounds on my back and a rifle in my hand. I didn't think I was sports fit, certainly not in terms of how I imagine that a, a, an Olympic athlete should be. And um, and so I'm going to this trials, and I'm a middle distance runner. All of this are sprinting events. It's the, the 300 meter run is the only thing I did for speed work as a middle distance runner. So I'm trying, man, I'm trying hard. I'm trying, you know, and so you go through each test and you get points based on how you perform. And I'm keeping a running tally in my head. And I'm trying my darnest to be in that top four. I didn't know how I was gonna do it. I just knew I had to make the team. So I went to the team trials and I tried my darnest. And I, you know, I think they like my smiles.
0: The next day, Devin found out that he made the team.
2: So, you know, the team trials ended on a Friday afternoon and I, I, and I went back to the office mess and I fell asleep. I slept through the entire night, woke up Saturday morning and my friends are calling me the Olympian because on the sports news, they announced that Jamaica had a boxed team and I was one of the person's names. So that's how I discovered. So it was not official, but I remember uh, we had gone on a trip uh, just outside Otorios that day. And I'm telling you, I felt like Superman that day. I was literally flying around the beach. I just like, (laughs) oh, it's just like, like, whoa, I'm on the team, right? Not not officially, but yeah, I really felt like Superman.
0: Devin Harris, Dudley Stokes, Michael White, and Sammy Clayton were selected as Jamaica's first bobsled team. And Devin said three of them had one thing in common—
2: Three of us were army from the beginning, so that that army culture just kind of come into play. Uh, Dudley Stokes was an army captain, I was a lieutenant, and Michael White was a private. So y- you just had that dynamic going, and then we kind of pulled Sammy into the fold. We, um, right off the bat, formed two two-man teams.
0: Before we continue with Devon's story, I wanted to find out more about bobsledding and turn to Olympic historian David
3: Walachinski. I've been doing radio and television commentary. Uh, I've attended 19 Olympics and I'm currently a member of the uh, International Olympic uh, Committee's Culture and Olympic Heritage Commission. You know, I just got involved. I, I got interested and I kept... I was fascinated because in the end, the Olympics is about human beings and their stories.
0: He said bobsledding made its Olympic debut at the 1924 Games. The four-man bobsled event took place in Chamonix, France. And that year, Switzerland walked away with gold.
3: First of all, the Winter Olympics was really in the early days, elite, elite people. It was a bunch of rich white people, basically. Um, and so bobsled, you know, bobsleigh as they called it in Europe, was uh, uh, a normal sport. If you went to Saint Moritz, if you went to a, a European resort, there would be bobsleigh. And even in the United States, like Placid, um, and so uh, it just was automatically one of the original, you know, sports for the Winter Olympics.
0: David said the podium at the Olympics looks familiar year after year.
3: You know, you could get uh, Germany, Switzerland, uh, uh, the United States has had its shots every now and then. You can get some Italians, but, um, you know, those are the main ones. It's that cluster right there.
0: While Switzerland and Germany are among the countries most recognized for bobsledding, an unlikely contender was about to steal the Olympic spotlight. The 15th Winter Olympics were scheduled to open in Calgary in mid-February. Jamaica's bobsled team had been chosen only months before, in the summer of 1987. So, how was the team supposed to train for a winter sport in a Caribbean country?
2: So, most people find it difficult to even imagine how you train. So, let, let me put things into perspective for you. When our team got started, there were, what, 16 tracks in the world? So America had only one then. Canada had just gotten theirs. Japan, China, Norway, um, France didn't have a track. But yeah, they had bobsled teams, right? So essentially, in order to bobsled, we're talking about going on a bobsled track, you have to travel to the tracks. So the fact that we're from Jamaica doesn't make us any different from France because they have to travel to the track. And so what what are you doing when you're not uh, on uh, traveling from bobsled track to bobsled track? You're running. You're lifting weights. You're pushing a makeshift sled. Where's the best place in the world to do that? Jamaica. <laughs> so, so we started out, um, we had this makeshift sled that we were pushing on a flat concrete surface on the Armour Base in Kingston um, it wasn't exactly the best way to train. We, we would push this thing three hours every afternoon during the week, six hours in a Saturday morning, which was not necessary. But we didn't know any different. We didn't know any better. So we, we, you know, we just work hard, man.
0: The team trained, and in September 1987, they traveled to Lake Placid. That's when Devin encountered his first bobsled track.
2: There's no ice on it, just a huge concrete structure, and I remember looking at the track, especially the the, the the parts where the corners meet the straightaway and how narrow it was. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell are we going to get through that as I'm thinking about the speeds? And then my next thought was, well, others have done it, so I guess we'll have to figure out how to do it as well. When we went to Lake Placid, we did not go down the track. We went there to meet our coach and to see what a bobsled track looked like, basically, and what a bobsled looked like, because we didn't know... <laughs> what any of those things look like.
0: You've probably seen it in action. A sled that resembles a small spaceship zips around an icy track with tight turns at incredibly high speeds. Modern bobsled teams compete for the fastest times, which are based on an aggregate time from several runs. If you live near snow, you might remember jumping on a sled on a snow-covered hill and flying down. It's a lot of fun. Early sleds were adapted from toboggans, but today, bobsledding is on a whole other level. As Devin mentioned earlier, modern tracks are made of concrete coated with ice. They're required to have at least one straight section and one labyrinth, three turns in quick succession. Ideally, a modern track should be about 1,200 to 1,300 meters long and have at least 15 curves. Speeds may exceed 120 kilometers per hour, and some curves can subject the crews to as much as 5G. The sleds themselves have also evolved from the toys of our youth. Modern day sleds are made up of a main hull, a frame, a front and rear axle, and two sets of runners. The hull is usually made out of fiberglass, and it's mounted on four sharp runners, runners made from cold steel. The rear part of the bobsled must be open. To steer the heavy sled and crew down the steep, icy track, the driver or pilot pulls on two pieces of rope. The driver pulls either left or right, and the steering bolt at the bottom of the frame turns the sled. That's it. I couldn't imagine the precision needed to navigate those quick, winding turns and the insane G-forces. Here's Devin to tell us what it was like.
2: I live in America here where, you know, I watch you know, a fair amount of American football, and you, you see the aggression when one athlete tackle another. Um, we miss that in bobsledding because you're not hitting another person, you're hitting a sled. But I would argue that the intensity and the, and the aggression at the start is similar to the most aggressive combat sports you could find. Like we are just like crazy mad people trying to push this thing. And you have, strangely enough, so much content for the sled at the start because you just want to push the hell out of it. Um, and so I've, I've had the experience of being a, a, a brave man where all my fo- focus was on the intensity of the push to becoming a driver, where at the start, I'm just as intense as when I was a brake man. But the strangest thing happens. The minute I leave the ice to get in the sled, I transform. I just transform from this crazy wild beast to this calm, cool, collected person. Eyes big, con- in a concentration, intense. I'm really focused. Um, and yeah, you are... If, if there's ever an activity that you do when you have to be in the moment, it's driving a bobsled. Like you are in the moment on this corner, not the one you just left, not the one up, up ahead. Working really hard to, have, to achieve mastery of steering this thing as close as you are to the ground and as fast as it feels, steering it perfectly. You know, I, I talk about um, it's almost like Pavlov dogs, and it's conditioned reflex. Because you are thinking, but you're you are reacting reflexively as well, you know? and it's all this um, this dynamic of hand-eye coordination, feeling the what we call the pressure, the G forces, but at the same time not even thinking per se as you are reacting and and steering the sled. Intense.
0: Intense sounds like a bit of an understatement, if you ask me. And I asked Devin what it was like the first time he went down the track in October 1987 when the team traveled to Calgary.
2: I was scared to death. I was scared. Um, And I just remember resigning myself. I, I said, you know, if I die, I die. But I'm going. And... Um, we had three runs that after that evening, and uh, by my third run, I was still scared to death, but hooked on the sport. This was it. This was my thing.
0: Devin and his other teammates were Jamaica's first ever bobsled team, and he said they weren't always taken seriously by the international community.
2: Well, they laugh. They, they, they think it's a joke. Um, the biggest, we, we had that, I think by the time we got back to Calgary for the Olympics. The world knew there was a Jamaican bobsled team, right? Uh, I remember being over in Europe, uh, and people see four black guys in similar jackets and go, hey, are you guys American basketball players? And I didn't realize that so many Americans went to Europe to play basketball. And we go, no, we are Jamaican bobsleders," And they would not, they just would not believe, uh, you know? And being the jokester that I am, <laughs> one day I said to a guy, actually, we are uphill skiers from the Congo. And he goes, really? He believed that, you know? So fact is stranger than fiction. You know, it's fuel to the fire. You think I can't do something? Oh, wonderful. Thank you for that motivation. Yeah. We were not discouraged by the jokes and the naysayers. It just made us more eager and more determined to to get it done.
0: Devin said they knew they were walking into the 88 Olympics as underdogs.
2: You know, what I want to say is that The fact that you are an underdog doesn't mean you don't have a chance. You just have to keep working and and keep honing and developing those skills to give yourself a shot. And so that's what we did.
0: There's one moment that sticks out to him, and it happened as they were getting ready to compete.
2: We're in Calgary. It snows. We wanted to use a push track, which was outdoors. Um, Other teams wanted to use it as well. Nobody wanted. The track workers were very busy doing other things. So the Jamaicans get shovel and broom and spend an hour and a half clearing the snow of the pushup. So we could have a 30-minute training session. Um, a dude uh, came uh, from one of the newspapers to do a story on us, and it, they needed pictures. And he thought it would be cool for us to be in the sled with the shovel and the broom, having a fun picture. And I'm like, whoa. The commitment, the dedication that we just demonstrated to to clean this track for spend an hour and a half cleaning it for a 30 minute training session is totally lost on him. And the fact that all the other teams are in inside keeping warm, waiting for somebody else to do it, right? And and so yeah, when you don't have the resources, you have to be more creative, you have to make, you know greater sacrifices. And you, as I said earlier, as an underdog, you you have to be working overtime just to kind of get up to snuff to, to try and take on the big boys, as it were.
0: Meanwhile, training for the Olympics continued. They spent a total of six weeks in Calgary in October 87, and then they went to Europe.
2: Went to Innsbruck, Austria, did some training there as well and then spend the month of January uh, 88 in uh, Lake Placid, New York. It ain't a lot of training, trying to go to the Olympics. And so you're going through a steep learning curve of learning the sport, but at the same time trying to develop enough mastery so you can say you're competing against the best in the world. It It was a handful, to say the least.
0: They did it. They qualified for the Games, and on February 13th, 1988, they entered McMahon Stadium in Calgary with their Olympic dream alive. And they were about to capture the hearts of the world.
2: You are in the opening ceremony, and you, look, you know, you, you grew up watching the Olympics, and you see these men and women marching in the opening ceremonies, and you're thinking, wow, those are some of the best athletes in the world. And then here it is on this day, you set foot in an Olympic stadium, 50,000 people screaming, they look off to your right and there are more cameras than you can count, believe me. And you know in this moment that your image is on television sets across the world and there's some little kid thinking that, wow, he must be one of the best athletes in the world. And you're you're hoping you can live up to that moment, right? Um, So in that moment, you are indeed living your dream. And then I I described the Olympics as utopia. 16 days of being shut off completely from the rest of the world, right? There's no social media. And so you're in the village and you're meeting people who, under normal circumstances, you'd never meet. And 88, in particular, was special because I was a newly minted army officer who was trained to believe that everyone behind the Iron Curtain was evil. And here I am in the Olympic Village. After my right is a is a guy from Poland. After my left is a guy from um, you know East Germany. And we and I, and I'm killing the Pac-Man. So I'm dating myself now. Like like I'm killing the Patman, right? And and then you, you come to realize that the only real difference between us is ideology. You know, we, we suffer from the same frailties and foibles, and we um, are pursuing very similar aspirations. And so that made, made it extra, extra special
0: for me. The Jamaican bobsled team had only been together for a few months. And as they got ready to compete in the two-man bobsled competition, things changed.
2: So we, we actually started out as a two-man, two two-man teams, actually. And then uh, my driver, Sammy, left the program. So we really went to the Olympics knowing that we're doing two-man. We had never raced a four-man bobsled before, but we did it at the Olympics.
0: It was a last-minute decision. Sammy Clayton dropped out, and the team was down to one pilot, Dudley Stokes.
2: It's kind of crazy if you think about it. So uh, most people don't realize that the first time (laughs) in the history of Jamaica bobsled, perhaps in the history of the Olympics, never thought of that before, (laughs) The first time somebody was racing in an event at the Olympic games was at the Olympic games. So that week uh, we, you know, we decided we would race four men and Dudley's brother, Chris, had come to the Olympics to watch his brother race. And we recruited him that week, taught him how to push the sled. Um, And then we went and we did our thing. You know, the, um, I tell you, so the first day of, we were still working our way through that, the, the week of training, figuring out who's going to sit where and, and trying to get a new sled and a workable sled and all that stuff. Um, I think it was a first run on the first day. Um, the sled was so old. As Dudley was pushing and then he tried to jump into the sled, his push bar collapsed and he kind of had to wiggle his way in, right? And we got down to the, the, the bottom, OK? On the second run. Uh, Michael White, who was behind me, his spikes got stuck in my thighs. And as we were crawling through corner one and two, people are like, Sit down, sit down. I'm like, We know, we know, you know. Um, But I was eventually able to dislodge him and he took his seat because otherwise it would have been an interesting ride for him. I was worried for him. Um, And then the second day, the third run, it you know, it's just one of those days, you know, I think we're heading we're heading out to the village and then Michael forgot his helmet. He had to run back to get that. And then we got to the track and everything was fine. We worked on the sled, took it to the top, and Dudley went off to walk the track as the drivers the drivers uh, do. And we're in the warm house waiting and he comes in and he looks really unhappy. What happened? Uh, he slipped on the ice and he sprained his collarbone. You know, uh, we didn't have a physio, so Roy Hunt from the British team, shh, magic spray, fixed him up and he's good to go. And we got on the start and like it all came together. I call it poetry in motion. We pushed the seventh fastest start time. We didn't know that at the time, but we pushed fast. And the loading of the sled was perfect.
0: Did you catch that? Devin said the four man Jamaican bobsled team was born at the Calgary Games. They went from two two-man teams to one four-man team, and they still managed to put down one of the fastest push times in the competition. Things were going smoothly until they crashed.
2: When we came off corner eight, uh, we hit the wall, and, and, I, and I thought, okay, that's fine. We, there's a long straightaway between eight and nine, so I figured there was enough time to correct that. And then we hit the wall again just before we entered nine, and that's not good. And I and I expected that we were going to it's called a wave, right? And if you watch the footage, you see the sled kind of go in and out of the frame. And I expected that we would go around to the end and bang really hard into the wall and and continue on our merry way. But instead, you know, we we went over, uh, and when I watched the video at the point when we were we were supposed to be coming down of the corner we're going up and there was nowhere left for us to go but over and i remember thinking to myself oh my god how embarrassing um because we were doing this in front of the entire world and you know so people wondered you know if i was scared for my life no i was just i was just embarrassed uh you know we we came to a stop and everybody was fine and then we started walking off the track.
0: Dejected by their performance, the team pushed the sled across the finish line.
2: I was leading the pack, and there was, people just started to cheer. You know, and we love you, we love you. So, and then one guy reached over uh, to shake my hand, and, and I shook his hand, and I had to shake every other hand. It was temporary from the embarrassment. You know, they, they made us Uh, feel good in the moment and it didn't feel as bad. There was this um, appreciation for what we had tried and I, and I get it, Uh, you know, people related to our team, right? Obviously they admired the the, the gold medal, the the medal winners. Um, But I think in our story, they saw themselves. They saw um, four guys from Jamaica attempting this impossible dream and not letting circumstances or others tell them it wasn't possible. And I think it reminded many of them of their dreams, those impossible dreams that they had that they uh, they're afraid to go after because they may fail or people might tell them it's not 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 worth uh, pursuing. So, yes, in that moment, we felt, you know, a little better. They cheered us up a little better. But, yeah, you you can't get over the the sting of 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 that defeat.
0: The gold went to Team Switzerland while Team Jamaica was disqualified from the 88 Winter Olympics. But it wasn't a complete loss for the Jamaican bobsled program. Dudley Stokes and Michael White finished 30th in the two-man event in Calgary. Devin said that as the team made their way back home to Jamaica, they weren't sure what kind of welcome they would receive.
2: You know, so the the lowest point of the 88 experience was that crash. And- uh, and feeling like we had let down an entire nation. And we were, quite frankly, worried about going home. We thought people would ridicule us. They would be so upset because we had gone to the Olympics and embarrassed make on the world stage. But they were so supportive. I mean, I joke all the time because uh, they, the government actually made stamps with our faces on it, you know? And so that, that was uh, yeah, pretty cool. But people were very appreciative, very supportive, you know, I would say they made excuses for us. You know, the, the the excuse that we're from Jamaica, we don't even have snow. Those were never uh, things that factored in our preparation. We felt that we could, should succeed regardless of the fact that we're from Jamaica. So that was very nice of them. Loved it. Um, but yeah, so in the end, though, I guess, you know, if you're talking legacy, we, we, we started something that... Uh, has now seen you know uh, young men who, geez, am I getting up there? I don't think they were born when I was competing, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, but here they are. But uh, but even on the bigger pictures, you now have uh, black athletes from all the various continents competing in the Winter Olympic Games. You know, which is which is awesome as well.
0: Jamaica's first bobsled team captured the world's imagination. And because of it, they even had a movie made about it.
1: See you at the finish line. With the kinds of push right, starts these y'all. guys are Let's capable go. of,
3: we might actually see the Jamaicans win an Olympic medal. So this is it. We could see history in the making. Feel
2: the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Go
0: As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Disney's Cool Runnings very loosely depicted the story of Jamaica's first bobsled team. The 1988 Winter Olympics may have been a first for Jamaica's bobsled team, but Olympic historian David Walachinsky said it wasn't the first time countries from warm climates have participated in sliding sports at the Winter Olympics. In
3: 1984, there was a fellow named George Tucker who um, represented Puerto Rico in luge. So in 1988, um, well, first of all, you had this woman from the U.S. Virgin Islands named Ann Abernathy, who competed in luge. She actually finished 16 out of uh, 24. It would have been a lot worse. Uh, she eventually competed in four more Olympics. Meanwhile, in the uh, bobsled, there was also a uh, in two-man, Netherlands Antilles, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Jamaica, and Mexico, and they it was considered so amusing that they created their own unofficial Caribbean Cup for for uh, uh, bobsledders from nations that didn't actually have snow. Um, it was not formal, but it was the Jamaicans who, who caught people's attention.
0: While Devin left the 1988 Winter Games disappointed. The Jamaican team was not deterred.
2: Yeah, well, you know that that we always knew we were going to uh, compete in more than one. You know, I, I thought maybe two. That crash in '88 um, made us even more resolute, resolute and sure that we were coming back. Um, I always knew from the outset that I wanted to become a driver after after got getting on the team because initially I wanted to be a brake man. Um, but once I started bobsledding, I'm like, oh, I want to do this driving thing. Um, as I said earlier, I was scared. So I was way too scared that first season. But then, yes, I became a driver and it was really cool uh, to be able to drive in Alberville 92. You know, it's it's more work, it's more responsibility, but I shoulder it. I absolutely love it.
0: Dudley Stokes and the Jamaican four-man bobsled team went on to compete at four Winter Olympics, 1988, 1992, 1994, and 1998. Devin was at three of them. He made his last Olympic appearance in Nagano. I
2: I didn't compete in the 94 games, but came back for 98. And in a way, that's my most special because it was so darn difficult uh, to get there. because of the funding and and all that stuff. Almost an impossibility, you know, and and, um, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I love to see that clip of me marching the opening ceremony because somebody said I had the biggest grin. I remember looking at the other guys and go, I'm enjoying this because you had to enjoy the moment after having uh, gone through so much difficulty getting there. So, yeah, they're all very
0: special. The 1998 Olympic Games in Japan was the last time Jamaica competed in the four-man bobsled event. That is, until now. For the first time in over two decades, the Caribbean nation qualified three bobsled teams for Beijing 2022. They will race in the four-man, two-man, and women's monobob, a brand new event at the Winter Olympics. I spoke to four team members, Nimroy Turgot, Rolando Reed, Ashley Watson, and Matthew Weckpay from Beijing. Here's breakman Matthew Weckpay.
1: We're, we're a new crew. We met in Lake Placid on the 18th of September. And we, we had to learn from the start, you know, how to load together, who would go where. So, you know, the fact that we was able to do that and finish in the top 50% to get to this Games... Because this year, if I'm correct, was the hardest quali- qualifying year ever yeah. that has been for the nations to try and get to Olympics. So the fact that we, you know, start in September, we weren't, we weren't sure. You know, you know, I'm sure our coaches were saying we weren't sure that they weren't sure that we were gonna be able to qualify for the games. But you know, come November the fourth, when the season started, we were ready. We were loading at speed. You know, and I think this the drive of seeing where we came from and what we had. Give us to believe and just to keep going.
0: Cool Runnings portrays Jamaica's four-man Bobsled team as novice, fledgling competitors in the sport. Breakman Ashley Watson and Matthew Weckbay say when they're on the track, people quickly realize that stereotype is just not accurate.
1: I think when when we started competing, you start, you, you when we were doing pretty well, and you started seeing other teams recording us. Talking about us in the changing rooms, and we were turning heads. And I think we can do that at the games. I really do. And you know, we're not we're not just you know we're not just a movie. You, you, you will hear that. And I say that because we we fought for our spot in this games. It's not it wasn't it wasn't handed to us. We took it.
0: Jamaica's four man bobsled team saw its personal best in the 1994 Winter Olympics in Norway. They placed 14th overall. Pilot and breakman Nimroy Turgot is hoping for more.
1: The atmosphere is really amazing. Um, the, the love that we're getting
2: um, and the support from people all over the world. And we can see that as a team, we're inspiring other people from different nations also. As I would say to represent their country um, at an, at a, such an high level,
0: um, proud is an understatement for what we have been through throughout the season. um, I can't find the right word to explain how we feel as a group. Um, But definitely, um, we're
2: here to compete, not just to participate. We're here to compete, and
1: our main goal as a team is to better um, what the guys did um, before.
0: For Matthew, it's more than results.
1: No, we worked very hard to get here and we do feel we deserved it because we fought for it but you know we're also about the next generation next generations you know we want we want the team to stay with you know we want the team to carry on do better than we do stay around and it's it's not just bobsled it's it's all sports even not even just jamaica it's no matter where you come from no matter you know what what abilities you have what disabilities you have there is sport for you that you can take part in and if you push and you believe in yourself you can get to high places
0: Rolando Reed dreamed of going to the Olympics as a sprinter, something that Jamaica is known for. And he hopes their performance in Beijing fuels people back home to try a different kind of track, one covered in ice.
1: So hopefully this will actually inspire the younger generation to come on board because a lot of people back home still don't know about Bobsleigh
2: and don't know how it works. So I think um, with... Us being close uh, and the the media attention that we're getting, I think it will definitely open eyes to some of even the track athletes that would probably not make it in track and field back
1: home. would actually see this as an opportunity to to, to get to the elite level as well and get to, to represent their country at the highest levels.
0: Matthew, Nimroy, Rolando and Ashley are all following a track that was blazed by Devin and his team almost 35 years ago. Devin says... What made it so special was something more than sport.
2: Yeah, you know, when we're uh, pursuing uh, this vision uh, of competing in the Olympics, we were not thinking about legacy. We were just four guys who were trying our dinners to realize a personal dream of uh, competing in the Olympics and representing our country. Um, But I realize now that it's so much bigger than that, and I think that's... It's, it's true for all of us pursuing whatever ridiculous dreams that we may choose to pursue, that you can leave a legacy. And the legacy would be that you're inspiring others to go pursue their ridiculous dreams as well. You know? And so it's a, it's flattering to be able to meet so many people from around the world who uh, tells me how much our story has inspired them. Um, and, and I'm encouraged that people still Uh, find the story inspiring and it inspires them to go pursue their own dreams and it's it's, it's inspiring and flattering to see our young team in in Beijing um, who want to carry on that legacy as well. So hopefully we'll continue to make a positive mark in the world.
0: That's what they call the Olympic spirit and it transcends borders.
2: You know Pierre de Coubertin when he uh founded the games it was really uh, about shared human shared shared uh pride and enjoyment in human athletic endeavors uh you know unfortunately we have become so fixated on winning and i'm not saying winning is fun i like winning i like the idea of winning but i think at the olympic games what we we can celebrate the winners yet but we can also celebrate those who Quite, quite frankly, oftentimes in, in modern-day sports, the, the thing that distinguishes the winners from the losers, so to speak, are resources and opportunity. Um, and I don't think the Olympic movement, the Olympic Games, should be restricted to those who have opportunity and resources to train and be and break world records. I think it's I. You know, I love the, I mean, I'm biased, but I love the fact that there's a Jamaica Bobsled team. I love the fact that there's a Eddie the Eagle. Because again, it it, it, it demonstrates someone who's saying, I will step forward. I have the courage to step forward and go on the world stage and give you my best. It may not be a record uh, breaking run, but this is my best. I'm the best that my country has to offer, given the circumstances that we have to deal with. And this is a global celebration and I want to be there representing my country. That's what the Olympics are about. It's not about winning, it's about how well you compete.
0: Thank you for joining me this week. At the time of our recording, the four-man Jamaican team had not made their debut in Beijing. Depending on the results, we may bring you more on this story in the future. Global News What Happened To is written and produced by me, Erica Vella, with producer Dila Velazquez. Our audio producer is Rob Johnson. Thanks to Emily Dancy who helped chase producing. And also a special thanks goes to Drew Hasselback, supervisor of the Global News Copy Desk. Let us know your thoughts of this episode and please share it with a friend. It will help us grow the show and bring you more incredible stories. You can also help us out by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also reach out to me personally. We are always looking for stories. So if there's a new story you want us to revisit, you can reach me on Twitter at Erica Bella or email me at erica.bella@globalnews.ca. at globalnews.ca. Thanks so much and we'll see you next
3: time.